0: Now Philemon is, (laughs) some people didn't even know that Philemon existed. It's a very short letter, it's one chapter, and it's actually right before Hebrews, which we just covered, so you're having difficulty finding it. So we're going to start, we're going to do Philemon verse 8 through the rest of the chapter through verse 25. Now just to give you an overview, and, and I said this last Sunday, it's very important that we take both of these messages and Digest them together, because they go together. A lot of background was given last Sunday, a lot of history. Uh, this letter was written uh, during the times of Roman uh, slavery, was a common practice. You would grow up even as a little kid, and it would just be accepted as a society that slavery existed. So there were some challenges there. There were some spiritual challenges. There were some societal challenges. And of course, the scripture, and we'll talk about at the end, really had to change the way people thought about each other, even though to the Romans it was great, to God it wasn't great. So we have Philemon, who is a slave owner. Uh, His slave is Onesimus. And Philemon also has a, a house church in Colossae. And Onesimus apparently was... Maybe he just did what he had to do out of obligation. He wasn't a very good servant. He stole from Philemon and then he ran away, which was worthy of death in the Roman Empire. So he goes west about a thousand miles, runs into the Apostle Paul, who's under his first Roman imprisonment, which is a basically loose imprisonment. He did have some privileges. Uh, As the Apostle Paul, years back, led Philemon to Christ, now he leads Onesimus to Christ. It's pretty amazing. So he leads him to Christ, this runaway slave, and he actually spends some time with Onesimus. And Onesimus is very useful to him. You know, he's probably sharing the gospel, running errands for the Apostle Paul, and we'll read that in the letter. He's like, man, this guy is, he's an awesome Christian. He's an awesome servant. So at some point, I guess, Onesimus shares with the Apostle Paul, let me tell you the whole story. You know, I ran away, you know, I know you know Philemon... I I stole some money from him, the whole deal. So they both come to the conclusion that he's got to go face his past. He's got to go back. Apostle Paul, he says, he he talks about uh, receiving him as my own heart. He really has a love for Onesimus, the slave. So he sends Onesimus with Tychicus. Tychicus goes with Onesimus back to Colossae. You know, a little, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Hey, uh, we don't know how this is going to shake up or go down, but take Kiss, take a little muscle with you. No, I don't know that he said that. Uh, but, so Kiss goes, and Kiss carries the letter to Colossae, right, the church in Colossae. He also carries the letter to Philemon from the Apostle Paul. And this is pretty much where we leave off. So basically, uh, Philemon opens the letter and starts reading it, and we'll go into what it says. But there were some challenges for Philemon. There were challenges for Onesimus. There were challenges for the Apostle Paul. And we may look at this and say, well, this was 2,000 years ago in a completely different culture and, you know, we don't have slavery anymore. But, you know, as we go through the scripture, let's look at the applications for our lives. Let's look at the challenges that we might have. Let's look at the things that God may be trying to say to us that could be acceptable to society or even Christian culture. But he says, for you, child of God, that's not what I want for you. I want something different. So let's check this out. In verse 8, he says, Therefore, though I might be very bold, now this is Paul speaking to Philemon in this letter, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. Being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus whom I have begotten while in my chains who once was unprofitable to you but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back, that you therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me and my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Very powerful, very passionate. As we go through these different points, we're going to see a lot of things happening. Paul is a discipler, and Philemon is discipled, no doubt, Philemon has discipled some in his own house church and Onesimus is also a disciple. And you see this progression in Christianity. And we're going to get to that at the end, that the Bible doesn't necessarily yell at society and say change. The Bible changes people individually. And as the more of us are changed, the more our surroundings and our societies are changed. So it's that one by one by one. So the first thing we notice is in his petition for Onesimus is his demeanor and how he handles it. Now, I'm going to weave uh, nine points of a discipler or character traits. And of course, we can see this in Jesus Christ when he discipled. And of course, we need to emulate him. And then I'm going to look at a few, like three points of a person being discipled. So I don't want to make it confusing, but I, I really don't want this to get lost in this letter. So the first thing is we look at the Apostle Paul's demeanor, his comportment. He's a class act. He's a real classy guy. So that's number one, the character trait. He says, Philemon, I could command you. I'm an apostle, and I also led you to the Lord. However, I want to appeal to you for love's sake. You know, my pastor taught me. I actually just listened to all the uh, sermons at the West Coast Pastors Conference last year. I'm still listening to them. There were so many of them. And my pastor was teaching that again. He talked about the difference between control and influence. You know, if we disciple, if we're pastors, if we're in some type of ecclesiastic authority, it's not about control. Cults do that. We want to to appeal. We want to influence. And that's the better way to have people change for the better. Now, that can be a sword, too, because I know that there's been times, if you've discipled anyone, that you're gentle, you give them the word, but they're still free to go and make a mess of their lives. And sometimes they'll come back and say, why weren't you more forceful? I'll tell you what, I saved wrestling people to the ground and sitting on them for life and death situations. So you're not going to see that become a regular staple in this church. I mean, that's life or death. But for the most part, we allow people to go. We influence them and we pray that they make the right decisions. And I'll say this, that we should be listening to those who are in our lives, who have walked the walk, who talk the talk, but walk the talk you know, and and have been there and done that, right? But we also need to be sensitive to listen to God. And I gotta tell you, I have a very busy life, I have a very busy schedule, but God isn't going to chase me around and say, Joe, I need to talk to you, I need to talk to you, you know? I need to stop and listen to him because that's not how he works. He's like, I'm always here, he's a constant. It doesn't change, but you've gotta listen to me. And that's why we need that quiet time in prayer to be listening to what the Lord is saying to us. Another way to look at this is the Apostle Paul knew Philemon would make the right decision because he knew his character and he knew his heart. So the second trait of a discipler is that they have discernment. If you're discipling someone, you must have discernment. And if you don't, you need to pray for it. You you need to get to know people. You need to understand them. You need to supernaturally be able to read them and see what their deficit is and how you can help them. So he knew that he would make the right decision. And we have these discussions, don't we? You ever hear? I know my wife and I sometimes have these discussions and I'll say something, I'll run something by her and I know what her answer is, but I just want her to confirm it. And she was like, Joe, you're the pastor. You need to be the better person. Oh, can't you tell me that for today I could be in my flesh and do what I want and get my rights? But the truth is, if we have somebody who loves us and they're a godly person, they're going to say this to you. They're going to try to talk to you about what's going on. And we want our, our rights. We want to be in our flesh sometimes. But somebody who loves us will believe in us and encourage us otherwise. Now, I'll tell you this, though. If you look at 1 Corinthians, it was a completely different story. There's a time and a place for everything. So as a disciple, as, as the apostle, when he, he looked at the Corinthian church and all the bad things that they were doing, You know, you can imagine the worst thing that anybody could do. This church had it all. And to to keep the church from imploding upon itself, from being such a bad witness to the Corinth uh, inhabitants and those surroundings, he did have to command them. He did have to lay down the law. He did have to say, hey, knock it off, and I'm coming there, and this stuff better change by the time I get there. And that's my version of the Bible. It's a paraphrase. But he was very firm. So there's a time and a place for everything. But he understood that Philemon would make the right decision. Now let's look at it from another angle. The Apostle Paul knew that Philemon needed to grow from this. He might have been the pastor of the Colossian church. We know that at least he had a role in this church. So he needed to grow. So the third point is a discipler will allow the person they're discipling to grow. They give him that space and they, they can see where they need to grow and they need to mature. There's a principle in the scripture many awesome principles, but one in particular says, to whom much is given, much is required. Has God blessed you? Are you using your spiritual gifts? You know, has he made your life fruitful when you deal with others? He's also, he wants you to grow from that as well. He's not done with you. But see, we never stagnate. We never stay like a pond where the bacteria and the algae can start to grow and then you get in there and it's You could get sick if you have an open wound. We're supposed to be like streams of running water, always moving, always clean, always refreshed, always oxygenated. And that's what we need to be. We need to be able to continue to grow and not stay at a particular point and say, Lord, I feel like I'm perfected. You don't have to change me anymore. You don't need to have to grow me. That's not the way we need to look at things. But I'll tell you this, that Philemon could legally own a slave. Well, he could have fallen back on that, but it's, it's fine with, with society. I mean, look around. Everybody in the neighborhood, is they're doing it. You know, as children of God, we can look at him and say, what's, what's your problem? Slavery's wrong. We all know that. We went through that in American history. But here's my question. Is there anything in Western culture that maybe God is not pleased with, but we do? Is there anything in the Christian culture Maybe even the Calvary culture. Well, I know a lot of people that go to Calvary, different Calvaries, and they're doing it. It's kind of like the go off the cliff mentality. So, what does that mean? What if it's not edifying? What if God doesn't want that? He doesn't desire that. So, we're always going to be molded, we're always going to be tested, and it's going to give us an opportunity to grow. We also look at the Apostle Paul, I know I do, as this great, brilliant mind, this awesome person that God used. This godly man. But what does he do? He appeals to Philemon with humility. He calls himself, as if he was the third person, he calls himself Paul the aged, Paul the prisoner. So the fourth character trait of a discipler is that they do it in humility. Listen, whether it's in the church or in your job. I mean, are you so willing to uh, joyfully submit to somebody in authority over you if they point to their name tag? And say, I'm the boss. You need to do this because I'm the boss. It doesn't really work. It doesn't impress anyone. As a matter of fact, I read an article and I commented on a blog on a Christian site about uh, some of the things that are going on on Christian TV. And I said two-thirds of the youth are leaving the church. And the reason is because they're not stupid. Because they can smell the hypocrisy. That's why they're leaving. They're not unattracted to Jesus. They're unattracted to some of man's ways in the church. Those old ways don't work anymore. Some will obey out of fear, an obligation, but it's best to have someone do the right thing out of love, respect, humility, and influence. Am I right or wrong way you can take a lot of these biblical principles outside of this building and apply them to your life, at your job, with your family members, right? This isn't just for church. That's why we take the scripture, the application phase, and we hide it in our heart and we go out to the world and we apply those techniques because they work. Because God designed us and he knows our frame. Verse 10. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, my son, whom I have begotten while in my chains. And I just love to put myself in this situation. Could you imagine Philemon reading this letter? (laughs) My son Is this a joke? Where's the candid cameras, you know? And tiki Kiss going, keep reading, Philemon. (laughs) But we don't know how much time has passed since Onesimus ran away. We don't know how long the Apostle Paul used Onesimus before they had this plan to send him back. So maybe as soon as he saw Onesimus's face approaching the house in the distance, you know, what was his reaction? I could picture them just holding out the letter. (laughs) Before you do anything, read this letter. Before you call the Roman guard, read this letter. How do you get, how does the Apostle Paul, a thousand miles away, get into this, in the middle of this triangle between Philemon and Onesimus? It's only by divine providence. It's only by the Lord's perfect will in their lives. And when we truly serve the Lord, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation and the world would say coincidence, but we know better, don't we? Let me go back to Onesimus for a moment. He agreed with the Apostle Paul. Okay, I'll go back. Now, could he have, halfway down the journey, got cold feet and said, I'm not going back there. I know what that means for me. It's it's certain death. It could be crucifixion. He could have had a panic attack. I mean, he had a a thousand miles to think about this. But he went back. And that just goes to show you the character of this man. And as I go through the scripture, it's amazing that... Society looked at this guy as a slave and a thief and somebody that, that uh, was, should be rewarded with death. But we as believers in the spiritual realm look at this situation and say, man, this is a man of character. Imagine if they crucified this guy. What an awesome uh, legacy of humanity would have been lost on that tree. So it really goes to say a lot about Onesimus, and that's true conversion. When we're willing to face the past, when we're willing to face our present, when we're willing to face and willingly submit to whatever God's will is in our lives and trust Him completely, now that's faith. Amen? So the first point about someone being discipled, the character of a truly discipled person is number one in Onesimus' case is that he was going to submit to whatever the Lord's will was in his life and he was going to trust God for the outcome. Now, if you put yourself in his shoes, he was facing death. So brothers and sisters, if you think that this doesn't apply, it does apply. I mean, a lot of decisions we make are just maybe social decisions or financial decisions. I mean, we live, we, we're well protected in this country. However, we need to take what's going on here and and say, do I trust God with his will in my life, no matter what the outcome? And sometimes it it doesn't happen for years. As our faith grows, at some point we get there and say, you know what? Whatever happens, I'm going to trust God. Verse 11. So he was once unprofitable to you, now he's profitable to you and me. I'm sending him back, you therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me and my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed may not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. I'm reading it again because it's just so, just to keep it in the forefront of our minds. So verse 11, he was unprofitable to you, but now he's profitable to both of us. And actually, the, the name Onesimus means profitable. It's kind of actually I- ironic, isn't it? Who named them that? According to Philemon, he was worthless. He was unprofitable. But the Apostle Paul says, boy, he's not only profitable to me and the Lord, but he's going to be profitable to you too. And and not in a financial sense. Understand that. So the second point of a a character trait of somebody truly discipled is is the word change. Completely different. Willing to face his past. Willing to take responsibility. Don't we have a problem in this country with taking responsibility? We see it in our federal government. They're just going around blaming everybody else for their stupid decisions. Hey, we elected you. You get paid really well. Your health care is going to be far better than the stuff you're selling to everybody else. Take responsibility for your decisions, and that's trickling down into society. Here's a guy who is taking responsibility, even though what was happening to him was an injustice. You just don't get better than that. I, I, he's one of the people I want to meet when I get to heaven. What were you thinking? What was it like when you walked into Colossae and you, know, you were approaching the house? Wow. I wonder if God is going to allow us to just have these awesome conversations with his saints over the years, over the, you know, we have all of eternity to do this. But that, that's, that's exciting. But change. And you know what? As believers, American Christians, we don't like change. We get into a routine. We get into a groove. And the more OCD we are, like me, I don't like to be broken out of that routine. But the truth is, God wants us to change. He wants us to change for the better. Verse 12, he says, I'm sending him back to you, receive him. In other words, don't give him justice, don't call the authorities, forgive him, show grace. Third point of somebody being discipled is they get the opportunity to show grace like their discipler did. So the Apostle Paul was giving Philemon an awesome opportunity to be Jesus, to be Christ-like, Yes, you could do this. Yes, you could watch them haul him off in chains and, and, and get your revenge. But I want you to forgive him completely and want you to show him grace like Christ did to you and I did to you. 13. He basically tells him he's so useful that he wanted to keep him in Rome. But he says, I wanted to show you Philemon, I wanted to show you deference. This is a teaching moment. And 14. I didn't want to do anything without your permission. So basically, he gives Philemon the opportunity to exercise his free will in the situation. And again, what we see out of this is the Apostle Paul goes back to the previous point that we talked about. It shows his humility. Verse 15, read it again. For perhaps he parted, departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. It's a double blessing. Not only is he going to be different to you in person, in the soma, in the body, but he also spiritually, as a spiritual brother. Could you imagine the fruit that could come out of this new relationship? And I believe the Apostle Paul is pointing to God's sovereignty here, his providence. He departed for this purpose. For our purpose, Paul didn't know he was coming. Philemon didn't know where he was going. Onesimus might have known for a while where he was going. This is definitely God's providence. It's written all over this letter. So number one, Onesimus' salvation. Somehow the experience of being a fugitive, of being a thief, brought Onesimus to the cross. Now, I want to make make a, a parallel here. You could say, in a sense, that he did some things that broke the law. And even if we know that slavery is horrific, we talked about that in the first sermon. But he also stole from him, and there was probably some other things that went on, and he was completely changed. But you could, in a sense, say that maybe he was a prodigal. Probably He didn't know the Lord, obviously, before then, because Paul says that I, I led him to the Lord. I'd begotten him as a son while he was here with me. So we're all prodigals, really, until we know the Lord. But somehow this experience brought him to the cross. Maybe he saw it out, Paul. You know, No matter how you look at it, God's hand is all over it. But you know, we look at our lives and we look at family members, our children, friends, and, and sometimes we can say that person's a prodigal. And we pray for them to be safe and okay and it's safe, of course. But sometimes, and it's not a bad thing and it's not mean, we need to pray for them to be afflicted. Sometimes it's not through, it, it, until they have adversity in their life, until they actually see that something is missing, before they say, well, you know what? I don't have it all together, and life isn't perfect, and something is missing in my life. So I want you to really keep that in mind. It's really not mean to pray for a prodigal that they're afflicted to the point that they realize that they need something more. There's a void inside of them. It's a good thing. Amen? Two Onesimus and Philemon were to be reunited now on different terms forever. Again, this purpose that God have, that God had. And uh, you know, we talked about this at the men's group yesterday morning. We talked about it a little bit the, when we when we prayed with the ushers, and even in the prayer, you know, young men. I, I really have a burden for young men, uh, and it's just like a certain age group that A lot of them are they're meandering through life. They're they're aimless. And they have no direction. They have no purpose. And they're doing things to hurt themselves. And, you know, um, even the whole thing with pregnancies. And and these young men, they think, well, this is what a man does. And I've heard these things. to go out and drink with the guys to to be violent. You you look at this this knockout game that they're doing in some of the cities and just decking people. And and some of them have lost their lives over this. This is what happens to young men when they don't have purpose in their life. They become self-destructive. You know, and that's why I I really—I have—I have have one child. I have a son, but God has put it on my heart for a long time to reach out to others, especially young guys, and just want to pour into them because I was that way too in my twenties. You know, my dad wasn't around a lot. My parents got divorced when I was very young, and uh, it wasn't until I, um, you know, went through life and some men took an interest in me. And I was difficult, believe me. I was a handful. <laughs> I still am. <laughs> but uh, but it, it changed me, you know. And, and now I had a sense of purpose and direction. Of course, this, is, this applies to young ladies too. But when you have that purpose and you know that God has ordained you for a certain thing, you're empowered. So the, the power doesn't have to be through gangs. It doesn't have to be through violence. You have this power inside of you that God has commissioned you to do something. And you want to use every ounce of energy and fiber and adrenaline and testosterone to achieve that purpose. Because you're changed, you're different. There's a goal. And this is too, even with the unemployment, it's it's causing a lot of problems. Because the Bible is very clear, men were designed to work. Men were designed to do things. When men sit around on the couch and they're drinking and they're lazy and they're not getting out there, it causes problems. And no matter what part of the relationship, whoever they're attached to, it causes issues. So the unemployment has a lot of social costs that we don't even realize. So especially for the older men, this is what the Bible says, we need to pray about having God put someone in our life to pour into them, that maybe they're not getting that at home. Amen? There's one thing to exist, and there's another thing to live. And they don't both mean the same thing some people are existing without living verse 17 if then you count me as a partner receive him as you would receive me but if he has wronged you or owes you anything put that on my account i paul am writing this with my own hand i will repay not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides i like that huh i think he had a sense of humor Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. That's a tall order. And he makes some pretty bold statements. He says this, If you count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. You know, to be a fly on the wall, when Philemon was reading it, how many times did his eyebrows go like this? What? Wait, let me just read that again. You know, is the ink smudged? Did I read this properly? He's the Apostle Paul, and he's saying, bring Onesimus up to my level. We're all equal under the foot of the cross. I love that. Now, this is a gamble, and I call this character co-signing. The Apostle Paul was, was sending this out and signing with Onesimus, double signature. Receive... Him as you would receive me, character co-signing. But even better than that, the fifth point, remember the fourth point? We're going to the fifth point of a discipler, to foster equality. I love that. You know what Jesus said in the New Testament? He said in Revelation, he said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Hate is a strong word. He didn't say I hate them because he loves everyone, but he hated what they were doing. The Nicolaitans, the conquerors over the people. And you know what? Nicolaitanism has been in the church, unfortunately, since the beginning. The ones who, who, who put themselves so high, whether it's their vestments or their, their mannerisms or their titles or their, their separation from the rest of the congregation, the Nicolaitans. I'm up here, everybody else is down there. No, that's not true. The Apostle Paul fostered equality. And you know what he also did? He said to society, I know that the Roman culture and that you've been entrenched in from little children says that there's different classes of people. I say to you that all men are created equal. We're going to talk about, I I talked about a little bit about American slavery the first Sunday. I'm going to kind of finish up a little bit with that and see what the influence of Christianity, how it changed that in this country. And I'll back it up with facts. He basically says, put whatever he has defrauded you of on my account, and I'll pay the debt. The sixth point, showing grace. And verse 19, he says, not to mention you owe me your own self. Now, I don't think that Paul did this to muscle him. I really don't. I think he was just trying to put things into perspective. And it's okay to do that. <laughs> so, I mean, he, it, it was good. Verse 20. And I also can't help of... Help thinking of how gentle he was with Philemon. But he, but he did have expectations. And you know what, when we're mentored, uh, our mentors hopefully are, are gentle with us but firm when need be, but ultimately they don't control us. They let us go out with free will and make our decisions and sometimes make our mistakes and we have to come back to them and say, I really messed up. We need to talk about this. So the seventh point, of a disciple or a character trait is to allow the disciple to make good decisions and good choices. You know what, you know what's really about, really cool about Jesus? I love this. You know, if we, we could just read the Bible and gloss over it and get a good feeling in the gospels. I'm going to be going into Mark, um, after Philemon, the gospel of Mark. But, you know, really pray about what the Lord is trying to show you. You know, what's amazing. I love this. The disciples, they were uh, trying to cast out a demon, if you remember. And, uh, they couldn't. They couldn't do it. And Jesus came down and he, he mildly rebuked them. It was a disaster. People were watching. They're, you know, they're trying to do it and nothing's happening. I mean, you could just imagine ministry gone wrong. That's it. So Jesus comes back and he, he, he has it, you know, he, he huddles and first he, he casts out the demon. But then he has a little retraining session. Isn't that beautiful? And that's how we learn. We learn from the scripture. You, you let somebody go out and you let them make mistakes. And then you don't beat them up. When you fix the problem, if you can. You, you bring them back together, you huddle, and you retrain them. Now try it again. And you know what? When Jesus left bodily and he ascended into heaven, they were on fire. And the power of the Holy Spirit. Did they make their mistake? Sure they did. But he, they learned the lessons because they were, they were constantly being retrained. I just, I just love that. Verse 21. So this is great. <laughs> The Apostle Paul expects Philemon to do the right thing, but he also expects him, he says, you will do even more than I say. You know, Philemon, I'm giving you the basics of what's common and decent according to the scripture, but I expect that you're going to do even more. I expect to hear such a praise report that I'm going to smile when I read this letter or when I come to you, whichever. I believe that if, you know, probably this meant if Philemon had any other slaves, you know, how weird would that be? Onesimus comes back, he did wrong, he's freed, he's eating at the table with Philemon and the other slaves are like, what's this all about? Now, I don't know if he had other slaves, but I think that probably the over and above would be, you know what, it's going to be different around here in this house, right? And sometimes we need to do that at home, don't we? It needs to be different around here. You know, we're going to start living by what God would want. It's not easy because a lot of things may need have to be changed, There might be some heart-to-heart. There might be interventions in the home with family members. You know, we're going to start serving the Lord in this house. Like Joshua, as for me in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And eight, the eighth character trait of a discipler is that they believe in the person they're discipling more than that person believes in themselves. Now that's powerful. How much does a person have to believe in you to assume that you're going to not only do the right thing, but you're going to do even more? If you find a person who's willing to disciple you and they do it biblically, you've found a treasure that money can't buy. And I'll tell you this as well, that God believes in everyone here more than you believe in yourself. But Lord, and I've been there, Lord, how many times have I let you down? And I'm like, he's still filling me with the Holy Spirit. He's still sending me out to do stuff. He, he hasn't cut me off like he did with Samson or Samuel. And he even let them go a really long time before he removed his spirit. And that also was under an old dispensation. Let's be contextual here. But the point is that God believes in you. When your loved ones don't believe in you, when you don't even believe in you, God says, I believe in you. Come on, let's do this. Come on you're on the ground and he puts out his hand and says take my hand again let's get up Lord we've done this hundreds of times come on you still got strength in those legs come on stand up let's try this again and eventually we get it right and that's the mark of a, a true discipler is that they now don't take this in a blasphemous way we get to be Jesus of course we're not the son of God we're not divine none of that stuff that's heretical but we get to be like a type of Christ. We get to be Jesus to somebody else. So the discipler, what they do is they get to be Jesus to the person they're discipling. They're teaching them all about, hands-on, what it's like, what Jesus did, how to be Christ-like. And here's the best part of it. At some point, the discipler lets the disciple go and they get to be Jesus to somebody else. So in a sense, you beget grandchildren in the Lord. Right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Pastor Luis, <laughs> he loves when he can look around this church and, and see some of his grandchildren in the, in the Lord. So uh, it's really a blessing. It's really a blessing. It's, again, it's something you can go on vacations, you can you know, ride a roller coaster, bungee jump, do anything for a thrill, but there is nothing like the feeling. It is, it's, it's not only spiritual, that's where it starts, but it em- emanates into the body and into the mind. I mean, it is, it's unbelievable. Verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. I think that Paul was like a parent. He was always warning people, if you don't do this, I'm, I'm coming. So prepare, no, I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he did that to the Corinthians too. I'm coming. He says, but meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So before we close, I look at this section, and it's, it's in the letter. It's his letter. Um, I would call this housekeeping and administrative. And I want to focus on two men here. And it almost seems like it's kind of an aside, but it's really important nonetheless. You're looking at Mark. He's talking about Mark. Here's a guy. Let's look at Mark's story and let's look at Dimas's story. Mark started poorly. He was unreliable. His actions actually caused a major rift between two of the pillars of the church, Barnabas and the Apostle Paul, so much so that they went separately on missionary journeys. This is what Mark did. Later on, Mark overcomes, excels, becomes very useful to the Apostle Paul, and the cause of Christ, and God uses him to pen the Gospel of Mark. So tell me, what have you done that's so terrible that you don't think the Lord can use you? Were these supermen? I think not. These were average people like you and I would average problems with sin, with things that they had to deal with in their lives. And here we go. The next book is going to be the Gospel of Mark pretty impressive. Now, Demas, on the other hand, let's not do like he did. He starts off well. And then let me read to you what 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul says about what he did. 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly for Demas has forsaken me, having loved his present world and departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry so mark keeps getting mentioned in a positive light but Demas loved the world how do we finish did you start off poorly i did a lot of us did i'm sure i've heard a lot of your stories but how are we going to finish off that's the most important thing don't let that don't let your past destroy your future please that is the it's so self-defeatist and it's so untrue, and it's not what God wants. Don't look at anything you did from today behind and say, I can't, I won't, God can't with me. Forget about that. Get that out of your head. Mark it was a pretty major blunder, but he, he ended up awesome at the end of the Apostle Paul's more than one letter. Demos decided that he was going to go, and, and it wasn't a, a, a necessarily a, uh, an addiction or a sin type of issue. I believe that in, in Demas's situation, you know, he got into ministry maybe for the wrong reasons. Uh, he actually found that he really loved the world. I believe the, the word agape is used. That's pretty strong. His devotion to the world and the things of the world was far greater than his devotion to the Lord, and he didn't end well. So I think that's something that um, that we need to look at. And I've seen it. I've seen it in different churches. The church I came from. I've seen it here. You know, maybe people get into ministry because they didn't make it in the world, and this is their place to have authority, or they—they uh, uh, they, uh, all they can see is the authority, or that all they can see is—you know—want people to treat them a certain way. And I can't analyze people unless I sit with them for a few hours. But basically, um, ministry actually causes them to become worse. And some people have asked me questions about that, and then to just disappear and not serve the Lord anymore. I don't get it, but. So let's continue. If we look at tradition, how does this end? Well, the letter doesn't tell us, but tradition tells us that Philemon freed Onesimus. He was obedient to the letter. And I believe that this letter is so heavily inspired by the Holy Spirit, I would think nothing different. He was influenced from go- for good. And I'm sure, again, like I said before, if there were any other slaves, that it was a different, It's going to be a different time in the Philemon household. At the end of the day... A slave was freed, a debt was forgiven. A slave and a slave master lived together as equal brothers serving the Lord together. Now this is something you can't get from man and you can't get from the government only through the power of the Holy Spirit. One last word, because we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, slavery in the Bible. Again, God's word does not necessarily change society. It's not designed to do that. Jesus said, give Caesar what's Caesar's. When Herod was coming after him, he said, you go tell that fox I've got work to do. I can't be bothered with these guys. What the Bible does is it changes the individual. And as individuals are changed and discipleship happens through sheer mathematics, society ends up being changed. As a matter of fact, I've read articles from historians that made the connection between the rise in Christianity and the rise in the Christian influence in the Roman government and the decline of slavery in the Roman Empire. I'm just going to say this as well. How many of you saw the movie Amistad? It was a pretty powerful movie if you haven't seen it. This was a true story about uh, a slave ship with West African slaves. I think that went from Cuba. And they, uh, it was a mutiny. They killed the crew. And the, and the, the boat ended up in Long Island. So there was, this incre- it was like a, a, this incredible battle. In brewing in the United States with the whole slavery thing, and this really was a focal point. It is a true story. As a matter of fact, Hollywood had to buy the rights to the story because it was in such detail from a particular historian. So if you look at the story, it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Christians were the abolitionists and the slaves were freed. It gets better. The churches actually raised money so that the Africans could have, uh, the, they were the Mendi from the Mendis in Sierra Leone, they raised money so that the Mendi could uh, ga- gather enough resources to sail back and repatriate, to be back into their homeland. As a matter of fact, it was Christians that went with them and helped them to reestablish in, in that area. Now, there was actually some controversy because Hollywood didn't want to portray if you saw the movie you see the slaves understand the message of of salvation they actually bring the gospel back to africa and they and they see the 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 message of salvation They, they get the bible through even pictures and hollywood didn't want to portray christianity as the hero but they were forced to do it pretty impressive isn't it that is an example of how christianity changed individuals Individuals have changed in society and a whole nation went to bloody battle, brother against brother, over freeing the slaves. Well, that's a nice story, Pastor Joe. They all lived happily ever after. But it's not over. What about us? Where do we fit in in this? Are we obedient to God's word? Some believers go their whole lives never ministering to another person. And I'm talking 10, 20, 30 years or more. That is Incongruous. There is no connection. It's incongruous with the faith and, and what the word teaches us. I'm going to tell you something. If you walk out of this church, I'm going to tell you that probably within 100 steps, you will find somebody in this area who's either in poverty, who's depressed, who's lonely, who could really use the message of hope. And I gotta tell you, I'm on a tight schedule too. And my wife will tell you, we've been rerouted so many times just to talk to people and just share with them. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to really say that we're mature believers and we understand the word, but we're not living it. Quite frankly, there's no excuses because the Apostle Paul influenced Philemon and a whole Colossian church from a 1,000 miles away in prison. So we really don't have any excuses. You want to make a difference in this world? It's not going to be through money. It's not going to be through the temporal. It's going to be through reaching people one person at a time, raising them up, up, training them. It may take years. And then they do the same thing. And the person they're working with does the same thing. That's what Jesus did. How many times did he walk away from the crowds? There's ministries today. Boy, they would love the crowds that Jesus had. They'd go gaga over those crowds. Jesus got in the boat to to go off to the other side. There's too many people here. I, I can't work with all these people. You know, he was—he was individ- worked with individuals. And look at how they, they turned the world upside down through individuals. If you want to make a difference in this world? It's not going to be by the flesh. It's not going to be through money. It's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit and God working through you. And I think that if we read the paper or look what's going on around us, even in our country, the world needs it right now. So consider that. Let's pray. Father in heaven lord we thank you for your word lord we thank you for the really the understanding and the concept of of how patient you are how you